Uh, good morning, everybody. So great to be here with you again at Tambo Prezi. Uh, I'm just going to pray before we kick off. So please bow your heads with me. Lord God, thank you for the chance to be here again and to be with your people and opening your word. We pray that as we get into it, we pray that you would be preparing our hearts to, to hear what you've got to say. We pray that you would be uh, changing us and shaping us and conforming us to the likeness of Christ through it. We pray that you would be helping us to know who you are so that we might worship, serve, and love you all the more. We pray it in Christ's great name. Amen. Uh, okay, I'm going to get a quick show of hands before we start. Uh, British TV shows versus American TV shows. Okay, who likes British TV shows better? More than I thought. I reckon that's, that's probably about half. That's not too bad. Okay, so my wife's not as into British TV as I am. I'm going to see if I can get the clicker to work. I'll turn it on. There we go. There we go. There we go. This one, this is one that despite that, we can agree, my wife and I, we both think this is hilarious. Uh, she has fond memories of watching this at Kathy and Ali Wogan's place uh, when she was a kid. And the gist of it is that there's, there's this woman named Hyacinth Bucket who spends her whole life obsessing over how she and her family are, are perceived by other people. And she always wants to put on this show, this facade, that they're this family of high class and dignity, hence keeping up appearances. Uh, even to the point where she continuously tries to convince the mailman that their surname is pronounced Bouquet and not Bucket. I think what makes the show absolutely hilarious is that we all know someone who's a bit like Hyacinth. We all have people in our lives who make us groan on the inside when they do things that we know are just for show, and they make us cringe a bit because we know they're not fooling anyone. And for me, the whole vibe of this character is captured in this one particular interaction that she has with the husband. They're about to go on a drive, and as they're about to drive up the street, the last thing she says to him is, now drive extra slowly past number 23. I want her to see my hat. <laughs> it's dark humour because we see how much misery she puts her poor husband through. But it's also comic relief because we can all relate to that pain. We've been around people who look ridiculous to us but who think they're putting on such a tidy facade of perfection and class. People who are obsessed with making sure that everyone sees their hat. The thing is, hats come in many forms. We all have things that we would like to make sure that people see. We all have areas where we're tempted to indulge in a little bit of pride and self-glory. We all want to be seen as good people. Now, sometimes that's just about our vanity. Maybe we want to be seen dressed in the right brands of clothing or driving the right kind of car or trying the newest restaurant or participating in the latest fad. Whatever it is, all of that is a problem. That's pride. It's not good. But where this type of attitude can get really, really toxic is when it involves our spiritual life. When we desperately want to be seen as righteous people, as good Christians. In this passage, Jesus warns us against that type of spiritual pride. So Matthew 6.1, Jesus tells us, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. You see, what we need to understand is that spiritual pride is a completely anti-gospel state of mind. When we do righteous works in front of other people to be seen by them, we're behaving in a way that just makes no sense. Why should we need these people's approval? We're actually insulting God when we do that. We're acting like his approval is not enough. 
And on top of that, we're acting like we're actually worthy of people thinking these good things about us. Where in reality, every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us has shameful stuff in our past that we need Jesus to deal with for us. And when we strut around like we've got it all together, we're acting like we don't need Jesus to clean up our mess. And so God's response to that is simple. He tells us, hey, if you want to parade around these good works in front of other people, he'll let you go. We can frolic over there, have our fun, and see what's left when he's no longer in the picture. Jesus tells us if we practice our righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, then we'll have no reward from our Father in heaven. He's saying, you want to go to them for approval? Fine, go to them for approval and for blessing as well. See how far it gets you. We learn here that God does not give out his blessings to people who are just trying to be seen by their fellow men. God is interested in our hearts, not just our outward acts. Now, most of the previous chapter was actually dedicated to this idea. God is interested in our hearts. He doesn't want us to just not murder people. He actually wants us to have changed hearts that don't even harbour anger against other people. God doesn't want us to just not commit adultery. He wants us to have the kind of hearts that don't even cast a lingering look on someone we're not married to. It's the heart attitude that matters. So Jesus tells us, if we do righteous things outwardly, but our heart attitude is full of pride, God is not going to bless that. Now, having set up this basic idea, Jesus moves on to give us a few examples of what this looks like day to day. Now, the first example is in this area of our giving. Uh, He says, Matthew 6.2, When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Okay, so the negative part first. When you give money to the poor, don't do it in any loud and public way. Jesus says that's what the hypocrites do. And it's a problem both within the religious community and out in the broader society. He says people do this in the synagogues and in the streets. And why? To be honoured by others. So Jesus says don't conduct your charitable giving in such a way that you were trying to get honour from people for it. And why not? He says people who do that have received their reward in full. They wanted other people to think well of them. Congratulations. People think well of them. Off you go. We're done here. If you did this to get people's admiration, then people's admiration is all you will get. You've placed other people's opinion over God's opinion, and the blessings of God will not be given. You have already received your reward. But on the positive side, Jesus continues, verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. There is a right way to give to the poor and needy, and that right way is to do it discreetly, quietly, secretly. It's the opposite of parading it in front of people. Now, the little Pharisee inside many of us probably wants to know just how secret does it need to be. Like, maybe I can find a way to give money that's not technically public, but all the people whose opinion I really care about will probably find out eventually anyway. Best of both worlds, right? No. Jesus says, keep it so secret that your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. Now, obviously, both your hands are controlled by one brain. That's not possible. He's exaggerating to make a point. You can't weasel out of this. 
If you're giving money with the thought in the back of your mind, I hope so-and-so sees the receipt in the pile of papers somewhere and sees how generous I am, you're still tooting your own horn. You're still trying to get someone to notice your fancy hat. But keep your giving secret so that you're not left hoping that someone will notice. That's the idea. Keep it however secret it needs to be so that you're not worried who is looking. Now, let's talk about a couple of practical ways we apply that principle. Uh, if you've been at this church for a while, you may have noticed we, we don't pass around a collection plate. Like, and some church, like plenty of churches historically have done that. That's the practical way that they have collected money at church. And partly it's because it just makes more sense for most people to give electronically today. But it is also a direct consequence of this passage right here. We don't want to be the kind of church that even gives people the opportunity to make a show of how much they're dropping in a collection plate. We want the giving here to be done quietly and discreetly. No one should be trying to improve their reputation by showing off how much they give. Not to the church, not to any missionaries we support, not to any other causes. Uh, another thing you won't see a lot of around here is donor plaques. So you go to some churches and there are little signs on everything, on the furniture, on the walls. This bit, this brick was donated in March of 1982 by so-and-so. And what that plaque is, is a receipt. It's there to tell you this person has received their award in full. Their award is the plaque. So if you're going to leave a kind of donation somewhere, don't put a condition on it that your name has to be plastered there so everyone will, everyone will remember how generous of a person you were. That's just showing off your fancy hat. Keep your giving secret, and your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. That's the better reward. All right, moving on. Next example Jesus gives. When you pray, says Jesus said, we need to apply this principle to how we pray. Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Notice he repeats the same language here. This type of behavior is done by hypocrites. Where? In the synagogues and on the street corners. They want to pray in public. They want to do that so people can see them and will think them oh so holy and oh so spiritual. And as with giving money, Jesus says, people who pray this way with pride and fanfare, they have received their reward in full. But what does he tell us is a better way? Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So lesson here, you should have a private prayer life. If you mostly only pray when there's people around to see it, there's something wrong. You're not praying to talk to God, to be in personal relationship with him. You're doing it to make everyone think you have a personal relationship with him. Now just imagine for a second that you're single. You've got a first date coming up with this really hot guy or girl. You need to call them and confirm where you're going to meet. And you could do that when you have some privacy. But instead, you wait till there's other people around. And then you call them and you want them to overhear. And say, oh, hi, such and such. Are we still, we still on for our date tomorrow? It'd be super cringy, right? Because you want people to know. And that person is probably not going to stick around real long once they realise you're using them that way. It's just, it's not, it's not good. It's cringy. And that's what it's like when we make a big show of our prayers in front of people. Now, if you want to talk to God, pray in secret. Pray on your own. And God is gracious. He will meet you there. He'll be in relationship with you and he will bless you. 
Now, having said that, a quick side note on public prayer. If we took this passage in isolation, it might sound like there's never a time to pray in public. But that's wrong. We had someone pray here from the stage only moments ago. There is a time and a place for public prayer. And so Jesus does a lengthy public prayer in John 17. He talks directly to God the Father for a while, but he does it so that his disciples will see and hear. And he does that because he's using it to reveal something to them about his relationship to the Father. Likewise, the Apostle Paul describes his prayers in letters like Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. Now, why? It's not not to brag about how good his prayer life is, but it's so that his readers will understand his heart for them and learn from his example. So we do want to have some public prayer in our church as a way of teaching people to pray. It's a lot easier, but if you're a new Christian especially, it's a lot easier to listen along and say amen than it is to come up with words of your own every time. Public prayer is something that when it is done, it should be done as a way of serving people and not as a way of making yourself look good. All right, public and private prayer covered. We'll move on. Jesus gives another instruction on prayer, verse 7. When you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, this seems so simple, but we we actually get this wrong in so many different ways. Don't go on babbling. Pagans do that. They talk and talk and talk and think that somehow all that talking is impressing their gods. Jesus tells us the real God is not impressed. He doesn't want us or need us to go on and on. He already knows what we need, so just keep it short and sweet and to the point. That's what Jesus does in the Lord's Prayer, which we'll look at in just a moment. But first, I need to tread on a couple of toes. When you pray, don't go on babbling like the pagans. That rules out some stuff that sadly is kind of common today. So first off, if you're doing public prayer in front of people, keep it brief. Don't drag it out and go on and on and on. God knows what we need. And going on and on is probably just a subtle way of showing us your fancy hat. You're showing us what a rich prayer life you must have. So don't do that. Keep it short. Okay. Second, don't keep repeating yourself. Don't pray like it's a magic formula. Don't pray the same prayer 50 times with a set of rosary beads. Don't do that. God's not impressed. He knows what you need. Just ask him. Don't make it this transactional exchange where he'll bless you if you prove how devoted you are by all this repetition. He's your heavenly father. Don't try to manipulate him. Just ask. Okay, third, speaking in tongues. Uh, This is a bit of a touchy subject for many. I'm not going to get into all the details of it now. But two things should be clear from this passage. If you're going to speak in tongues, don't be a show-off about it and don't blather on and on. So Don't show off. God's not impressed when you do things to be seen by other people. And don't go on and on and on because God knows what you need. Just talk to him. Okay, with the toes all trodden on, we'll move on to something a bit sweeter. This then is Jesus. He tells us, this is how not to pray. And now verse 9, here's a positive example. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the model that Jesus gives us for how he wants us to pray. You notice, it's short and sweet and to the point. 
People memorize it pretty easily because it's short and sweet and to the point. And then notice that the content matches the style. They're both exceedingly humble. Jesus doesn't tell us to go on for ages quoting scripture, embellishing stories, and using lots of highbrow theology words. No. He tells us to pray these things which all come from a place of humility. We're to pray that God would be glorified, that his kingdom would come on the earth, that he would provide for our daily needs, our bread, that he would forgive us, and that he would protect us from temptation and evil. These are all things where we come to God as beggars, not as show-offs. We pray with humble content and a humble style because we are humbled before an all-loving and almighty God. Now, Jesus goes on just to drive home one particular point, verse 14. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, note the call to humility. You are not above God. How can you ask God to be willing to forgive your sins when you consider yourself too high and mighty to forgive other people? You can't. Instead, pray in humility and God will forgive you. All right, one final example is fasting. Jesus gives this final example. The principle is the same, but he applies it to this other practice. Verse 16. It says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Uh, if you're not familiar with the term, fasting here just means to go without food. And people would fast for various different reasons in Jesus' day. Uh, but the reason Jesus probably has in mind here is to show their devotion and sincerity in what they're praying for. Uh, so King David did this uh, when he, he had a sick child who was dying and he was fasting while he prayed for the life of his sick child. That's 2 Samuel 12. That's probably the kind of thing that Jesus has in mind here. Uh, so what's the problem? Jesus says, some people are fasting, but they are putting on a show of it so that everyone can see that they are fasting. They're meant to be showing their devotion to God, but really, they're just trying to get everyone to notice their hat. Instead of that, Jesus says, verse 17, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He says, clean yourself up so it's not obvious to other people that you're fasting. So he said in verse 16 that the hypocrites disfigure their faces. And I don't think he means they're just kind of putting on a sour face. I think he means that they actually would smear dirt on there. They would deliberately let their face be dirty to show that they're fasting. They're, they're so devoted, they don't even take the time to clean their face. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. The dirt on your face is just how you're showing off that you're fasting. Don't do it. Clean your face. Don't show anyone you're fasting. Keep it between you and God. He sees what is done in secret and he will reward you. Now, the great thing about preaching on something like fasting is there's a culture gap there. It's very safe for me to preach against this kind of practice because not a lot of people do this anymore. Um, some Christians definitely still do fast. They go for periods without food and devote themselves to prayer. And if that's you, great, no criticism there. But the dirty face thing, that is, that's not common practice today. 
the people who I've known who make a habit of fasting, they generally don't smear dirt on their face. They might do other subtle things to let you know they're fasting, but it's not dirt on the face. The question for us then is, what are we doing in our own little subculture to show off our spiritual pride? What is our equivalent of smearing dirt on our face when we're fasting? It's probably a little different for each of us. Uh, Caitlin, my wife, and I were talking about this through the week, and we agreed that a big thing for us is wanting people to think that we've got a really good marriage and that we're really good parents. That's, you know, because if we're good Christians, we'd be good parents and have a good marriage, right? Now, there's obviously nothing wrong with having a good marriage or being good parents. That's, that's good. But it's that we want, we want people to see it a little bit. We want people's approval. And we're often tempted to show off little details of our lives in conversation or on social media or just to tip people off. Hey, we've pretty much got it together. We're good at this Christian family life. Now, I don't want to overstate it here. Our marriage is fine, and we are growing into parenthood. Things could be a lot worse, but it is not all cake and sunshine. It's not as perfect as we would sometimes like people to believe. We are still sinners after all. Uh, For me personally, uh, I like subtly letting people know that I know some Greek and Hebrew. Uh, Nothing wrong with having that head knowledge. But there is a problem dropping it in conversation because I want to give myself an ego boost. That's not good. We all have these things. And the question is, what is it for you? What do you make sure to let people know so that they will think you're a good person or worse, a good Christian? We don't let our kids watch XYZ TV show. We don't let our kids watch TV at all. We don't have any music in our home that isn't worship music. We only sing the Psalms. I get up at 5 a.m. every day to pray and read my Bible. I read a cooler Bible translation than you do. The Lord has shown me that I have this particular great spiritual gift. Whatever it is for you, you probably already know it deep down. What do you use to flex on other people and and subtly big note yourself? What's the fancy hat that you want to make sure the neighbours see? Just something to pray about. This stuff is important. This is the stuff in our hearts that we need the Holy Spirit to dig out for us and kill it. So I want you to ask God to help you with this, and he will, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. All right, to wrap up, let's circle back to Jesus. See, humility is the way of the gospel. Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, did not puff himself up. He lowered himself down and became a servant to all of us. He went to the cross, and he died in our place, not just a death of pain, but a death of shame and humiliation. But why? He did that so our shame could be taken away. We don't need other people to give us an ego boost and tell us we're okay. We have Jesus. Whatever I'm ashamed or insecure about, it doesn't matter to Jesus. He sees me exactly as I really am. There's no fooling him. The sins I'm most ashamed of, he bore at the cross, and he took the shame of them for me. And he's lifted me up, and he's given me dignity and honor and made me one of his own people. That's the real solution for our insecurities. It's not to flex and show off to other people. It's to have Jesus take our shame away and give us dignity from him. Jesus has welcomed us. Jesus has prepared a place for us. And Jesus has loved us. Who cares what other people think of us? 
When I really let that sink in, it seems even more ridiculous that I would try to make myself look impressive to other people. Because Jesus knows that on my own, I am even less impressive than everyone thinks. But Jesus also died for me. And he knows that he has taken away my shame and given me honor in the sight of God. And so if you're struggling with shame or insecurity today, if you're showing off some kind of silly hat to cover it up, Jesus has the answer. You can bring it to Jesus and he will sort it out. So on that note, let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you that you didn't just take away our guilt before you, but also took away our shame and gave us honor. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts so that we would deeply understand this. We pray that we wouldn't be tempted to show off to each other in our giving, in our prayers, or in any other area of our lives. We pray that you would make us humble people who are a blessing to our neighbors. We pray it all in your name and for your glory. Amen.